bringing you the latest in tax credit news. This is Tax Credit Tuesday with your host, Michael Novogratik. The legislative challenges have been significant. We very much need the legislation. we got to produce housing. We're still in a very volatile industry. It's a challenging atmosphere for almost anyone. We can't get all these mixed signals and messages. If he doesn't have a bipartisan bill, nothing's going to happen. Alternative energy is still very expensive. Hello, I'm Michael Nevergradic, and this is Tax Credit Tuesday. Today is Tuesday, June 12, 2012. I begin this week's podcast with a review of Senator Max Baucus's plans for comprehensive tax reform, plans that he revealed at a bipartisan policy conference yesterday. I'll also discuss last week's House Ways and Means subcommittee hearing on tax extenders. In our New Market Tax Credit discussion, I'll discuss the New Market Tax Credit Coalition's annual progress report. I'll also describe a new tool that Novograd and Company has provided for supporters of the New Market Tax Credit. I'll also examine the latest QEI issuance report. Also, I note that we're still expecting the application for the next New Market Tax Credit round to be available no earlier than the end of June. In the Low Income Housing Tax Credit section of this week's podcast, I discuss recommendations from the Advisory Committee on Tax-Exempt and Government Entities. Then, I'll describe new guidance from the California Tax Credit Allocation Committee about its second application round, I also have a state-level update from North Dakota. In this week's historic tax credit discussion, I'll summarize some of the remarks made last week by Congressman Earl Blumenauer in support of modernizing the historic tax credit. I'll also share highlights from two reports related to historic tax credits. And finally, in our Renewable Energy segment, I'll discuss the Master Limited Partnerships Parity Act introduced last week, as well as the Sierra Club's new campaign to extend the production tax credit, and a Senate Finance Committee hearing that's planned for today. If you're ready, let's get started. In general news, yesterday, Senate Finance Committee Chairman Max Baucus spoke publicly about his plans for tax reform. In a speech given at the Bipartisan Policy Center, Chairman Baucus outlined four goals that he's using to reform the tax code. The four goals are create jobs from broad-based growth, make the United States more competitive, support innovation, and provide more opportunities for low- and middle-income Americans. Senator Baucus's first goal is the one of most relevance to our listeners. That's because he said that jobs come from broad-based growth and that most economists agree that eliminating tax expenditures in order to lower tax rates, is one way to generate growth. That said, however, Senator Baucus did not suggest that all tax expenditures should be eliminated. He said, and I quote, We need to take a hard look at each and every expiring provision and decide which to make permanent and which to eliminate. We need to get out of the way of the market unless there is clear evidence that a tax expenditure spurs growth and creates jobs. Every tax provision needs to prove it has a tangible benefit to our economy or society. If not, it doesn't belong in the code. Close quote. Senator Baucus acknowledged that tax reform won't be easy, and he said lawmakers would, would, and I quote, need to slay some sacred cows. Now, Senator Baucus did not discuss specifics, 
but he did say that he's making progress on a detailed tax reform proposal that will attract bipartisan support. Now, to this end, he did say that the committee would hold hearings on both the Bull Simpson and the Domenici Rivlin tax reform tax deficit reduction plans. Now, yesterday's event also included remarks by former Senate Budget Committee Chairman Pete Domenici, former White House Budget Director Alice Rivlin, former head of the Senate Finance Committee Chairman Bob Packwood, along with former head of the Ways and Meads Committee, former Chairman Bill Thomas. You can find a link to the replay of the entire event online at www.novoco.com. Now, a more shorter-range note, Chairman Baucus said that the Finance Committee will meet next week in a members-only meeting to discuss ways forward on traditional extenders. He suggested that successfully tackling tax extenders could form the foundation to later success in addressing the fiscal cliff and tax reform. Now, turning to the House and continuing with tax extenders, Congressman Pat Tiberi, chairman of the Subcommittee on Select Revenue Measures, held a hearing as to how Congress should evaluate tax extenders. In his opening statement, Chairman Tiberi said, quote, the days of simply rubber stamping the extenders package are behind us. Today, we pivot to exploring ideas on the framework that Congress should use to evaluate tax extenders. Witnesses at last week's hearing shared their views on the principles of good tax policy and the specific metrics against which Congress should test the merits of particular provisions. Unfortunately, testifying on behalf of the Government Accountability Office, James White repeated the suggestion that the GAO originally made in 2010, and that's that Congress consider, and I emphasize consider, offering grants to community development entities in lieu of new market tax credits. As regular listeners may recall, the New Market Tax Credit Working Group countered that proposal in a special report that concluded that the New Market Tax Credit Program is more efficient in delivering subsidy to qualified businesses in low-income communities than a comparable cash grant. Now, in more positive news from the hearing, other witnesses expressed support for specific tax provisions and cited their contributions to the economy and their benefits as proof of those provisions' merit. For example, Aaron Gornstein, Undersecretary for Housing and Community Development in Massachusetts, testified that the New Market Tax Credit, both America Bonds, Empowerment Zones, Empowerment Zone Bonds, and the Long Housing Tax Credit have created hundreds of thousands of jobs and housing units throughout the nation. He said, quote, as we continue to climb out of the recession, now is the time to extend these programs and the work they support. We cannot afford to lose these instruments of economic growth, and the Congress should take action to extend these programs as soon as possible. He also said, on the longer horizon, as this committee undertakes the important task of reforming our tax code, it is important to understand the trade-offs that are involved in eliminating these provisions as there often does not exist a comparable way to enhance community development through other sectors of the government. In fact, while the Congress continues to cut spending programs in various programs under a number of departments, these projects can often only rely on supports in the tax code to continue. Elimination of these tax benefits could very well terminate a history of public-private partnership 
that has brought so much growth to our state and the country. In addition to witness testimony, several committee members also expressed support for the new market tax credit and the low-income housing tax credit. Those members include Congressman Thompson and Gerlach, as well as Chairman Tiberi himself. Congressman Gerlach made particularly compelling points about the effectiveness of federal tax incentives as compared to cash grant program equivalents. Novogratz and Company is currently compiling a highlight reel from the hearing and will post the highlights on our YouTube channel shortly. I'll tweet the link when it's ready, and I encourage you to share the link with others. Until then, links to the witness's written testimony is also available online at www.novoco.com. In New Market Tax Credit news, last week the New Market Tax Credit Coalition released its 2012 New Market Tax Credit Progress Report. This eighth annual report illustrates the New Market Tax Credit's success in revitalizing communities in the current economic climate. Because the program expired in December, it is particularly vital to communicate its importance to legislators and policymakers. The Coalition's report contains findings from its most recent CDE allocatee survey of rounds 1 through 8, along with stories of high-impact projects that demonstrate how CDEs are using the New Market Tax Credit. The Coalition surveyed every CDE that has received an allocation from 2003 to 2011. 66 CDEs who responded represent $12.7 billion in total allocation authority. And in 2011 alone, they made a total of $2.3 billion in new market tax credit investments, that in 363 businesses. Of those $2.3 billion in investments, 72% were made in severely distressed communities. And nearly 60% went to communities with unemployment rates at least one and a half times higher than the national average. Moreover, the report states that capital is being deployed at a much faster rate than the standards set by the CDFI fund. 66% of the capital raised through qualified equity investments in 2011 was deployed as qualified low-income community investments in less than a week, and almost 80% was deployed in a month or less. The CDEs reported that more than $1.3 billion in financing went to 215 non-real estate businesses. Nearly $1 billion in loans and investment went to 148 real estate businesses. Four business categories out of a possible 11 categories made up nearly two-thirds of last year's New Market Tax Credit investments. Those four categories are education, mixed-use, industrial manufacturing, and retail. The full report is available on the Coalition's website at www.nmtccoalition.org. Now regarding advocacy, in this month's issue of the Novogratz Journal of Tax Credits, I write how the tax credit community can use the next several months as an opportunity to educate lawmakers about the important benefits of tax expenditures such as the New Market Tax Credit. In the context of comprehensive, fundamental tax reform, community development professionals must defend the existence in the tax code of the New Market Tax Credit. The good news is that as the election nears, members of Congress will be spending more and more time in their home states and districts. The state and district work periods provide a terrific opportunity to reach out to lawmakers. 
To aid in those efforts, Novograd & Company has compiled information on New Market Tax Credit Qualified Low Income Community Investments, or QUILICIs, through 2010 for all states and U.S. territories. Using data from the New Market Tax Credit Qualifying Census Tracts Mapping Tool, we've created summaries of investments made in each state as well as in each congressional district within that state. That's investments made through 2010. These summaries are a quick way to demonstrate the real tangible benefits of the tax credit program to a particular lawmaker in their district or state. To locate the lists, go to the Breaking News section of the New Market Tax Credit Resource Center. Now, turning to qualified equity investments, last week the CDFI Fund released its monthly update to its ongoing qualified equity investment issuance report. The report identifies the dollar amount of allocation authority that has been issued to investors, as well as the amount remaining to be issued to investors. In May, approximately $256 million of QEIs were finalized, nearly over, I should say, a quarter billion dollars worth. The amount still available in New Market Tax for Allocation Authority is about $6.4 billion as of June 1st. However, as most of our listeners know, much or substantially all of that $6.4 billion is already officially, unofficially, I should say, committed to particular projects. That said, if you're looking for help in finding an allocation or help in closing a transaction, I encourage you to contact one of my partners. You could call Annette Stevenson in our Cleveland, Ohio office, Owen Gray in our San Francisco office, or other partners or principals in the Novogratic office near you. In local housing tax credit news, earlier this month, the Advisory Committee on Tax-Exempt and Government Entities sometimes referred to as ACT, submitted its annual report to the IRS. That report included recommendations for eliminating some questions from some of the IRS's bond-related forms, questions that the group said are overly burdensome for some issuers. Specifically, the report examined all of the 8038 series of forms. Those are forms filed by issuers of private activity bonds, governmental bonds, direct pay bonds, including Build America bonds, tax credit bonds, and others. The report surveys the history of information reporting for taxes and bonds and the purposes for information reporting. The advisory committee identified six different purposes that it considers as legitimate purposes for collecting information pursuant to the information reporting requirements. Those six purposes are, one, statistical reports, two, classification, three, recording elections, four, education, five, identification, and six, payment refund amount. The committee says the IRS should carefully consider any information requested on a bond-related form that does not fit within one of these six specified purposes. A detailed survey of the information requested on each of the bond-related forms is appended to the report. In its conclusion, the committee writes, and I quote, we believe that the time has come for the IRS to revisit the various forms to assure that they are fulfilling the original intended congressional purpose. It is most important for the IRS to weigh the burdens of form completion against the benefits derived from the information to be requested. And if you need help with your Form 8038, simply contact my partner, George Littlejohn, in our Austin office. Now, at the state level, the California Tax Allocation Committee last week released two memos that provide guidance for its second long-amazing tax credit allocation round. Applications for California's second long-amazing tax credit round are due by 5 p.m. on July 25th. And many partners, principals, and other professionals 
in our San Francisco and Long Beach office in California are already working on those applications. The two memos, however, provide guidance for first-run applicants who are reapplying in the second round. The two memos also highlight common application errors and they clarify application requirements. Now first, on June 1, the committee issued a memo titled Guidance for First-Run Applicants Reapplying in the Second Round and Additional Guidance for All Second-Round Applicants. In that memo, the committee said that first-run applicants who are reapplying in the second round must submit a complete application for the second round. The committee added, though, it will accept time-sensitive documents submitted during the first round with a few exceptions that are listed in the memo. The memo also cautioned second-round applicants against errors that were common in first-round applications. Now, the second memo, also dated June 1st and called simply 2012 Second-Round Guidance, clarifies application requirements for all second-round applicants. The memos can be found on the committee's website. You can also find links to the committee's website at the Affordable Housing Resource Center. And as always, if you have questions about applying for tax credits in the state of California, please contact Jim Kroger in our California, San Francisco, California office. And in North Dakota, the State Housing Finance Agency announced that taxpayer support helped provide funds for nine multifamily housing developments across the state. In exchange for contributions to the state's housing incentive fund, taxpayers receive a dollar-for-dollar state tax credit that may be fully claimed in the same year they contribute the funds. This year, the Housing Finance Agency has conditionally committed $6.3 million in housing incentive fund dollars to support the creation of 254 units in seven cities. Past individual contributions have ranged from $100 to $2.5 million. Any entity with a state income or financial institution's tax liability can contribute to the fund. Now, the agency will issue credits on a first-come, first-served basis until a $15 million annual cap is reached. More information on how to contribute is available at www.housingincentivefund.org. In historic tax credit news, last week on June 6th, Congressman Earl Blumenauer made a floor statement calling for modernization of the historic tax credit. As listeners may recall, Democratic Representative Blumenauer, along with Republican Representative Aaron Schock, last year introduced H.R. 2479 the Creating American Prosperity Through Preservation Act of 2011, or the CAP Act. The bill is designed to help smaller-scale projects take take advantage of historic tax credits, and the bill also includes incentives for energy-efficient designs. In his statement last week, Congressman Blumenauer noted that with the historic tax credit, more than 37,000 historic properties have been rehabilitated, having leveraged $90 billion in investment and created 2 million jobs. Congressman Blumenauer said, and I quote, The investment and its ripple effects create more tax revenue and avoid the cost of rundown property and blight. As a local official, for years I learned firsthand that it is hard and expensive to deal with deterioration of the building stock in the neighborhoods in which they are located. Close quote. But despite its success to date, Congressman Blumenauer said the program could be improved to keep pace with the times. He said, and I quote again, We need to recognize the difficulty with the current investment climate that makes it more difficult for people to take advantage of the tax credit, as well as opportunities going forward to maximize the capacity for this important program. Close quote. You can find a recording and complete transcript of Congressman Blumenauer's remarks in the C-SPAN video library. Now, turning to two reports, the National Governors Association 
has released a report on the ways the arts, culture, and design can support economic growth. And this report cites the positive effects that historic tax credits can have on distressed areas. New Engines of Growth, Five Roles for Arts, Culture, and Design, is the name of the report, and it addresses the role that arts, culture, and design can play in governors' policies to create jobs and boost their economies. The report says that historic preservation programs have proved effective catalysts for distressed neighborhoods and reclaiming abandoned spaces. It also says that more than half of states provide tax credits or other incentives. The report cites several states and cities where historic preservation programs are revitalizing areas. Michigan, for example, encourages private developers to renovate historic buildings with an online resource toolbox that promotes investment through a searchable database of neighborhoods and communities, as well as a searchable incentive database. In Arizona, a combination of state and federal funding sources, including historic tax credits, were used to rehabilitate historic buildings and to live workspace for artists in the former copper mining town of Ejo. In the last 10 years, Ejo has become a cultural tourism center for the region. The report stresses that artistic, cultural, design-based projects, like the rehabilitation of historic buildings, can have far-reaching and lasting effects in the wider community. The entire report can be found online at www.historictextcredits.com. And in Massachusetts, the state issued its first tax credit transparency report last week. The report is the result of 2010 legislation that requires agencies that administer refundable and transferable tax credit programs to submit an annual, an annual report, an annual public report, on the tax credits issued or awarded in the previous calendar year. This first report covers 13 refundable or transferable tax credit programs and the credits that were issued or awarded between January 1 and December 31, 2011. The Historic Rehabilitation Tax Credit Program is one of those included in the report. The report says that in calendar year 2011, the Historic Tax Credit Program awarded tax credits valued at nearly $49.8 million, covering 252 projects, and they issued tax credits valued at nearly $1.5 million to six projects. The report makes a distinction between credits awarded and issued because historic tax credits technically are not issued to a project until after the renovations are completed, but they may be awarded several years earlier. In addition to the overall number of credits awarded and issued in calendar year 2011, the report also listed the name of the project, the taxpayer receiving the tax credit, the amount of the credit issued, and the amount of the tax credit awarded. It also includes the date it was authorized. If you'd like to review the report, I invite you to visit the Historic Tax Credit Resource Center. You can find the report on the Reports and Research page. There, you will also find a copy of the Tax Expenditure Committee's first report on Massachusetts tax expenditures, as well as a copy of the Urban Land Institute report that we featured in last week's podcast. And oh, by the way, in case you were wondering, the Massachusetts Tax Credit Transparency Report also covered the Massachusetts Low-Income Housing Tax Credit. There, 10 projects were awarded $9.5 million in annual tax credits. In renewable energy tax credit news, last week, Senators Democrat Chris Coons and Republican Jerry Moran introduced the Master Limited Partnerships Parity Act. This bill would enable renewable energy investors to form master limited partnerships. This publicly traded structure combines the funding advantages of corporations 
with the tax advantages of partnerships, and it's currently available only to investors in fossil fuel-based energy projects. The bill sponsors say its enactment could unleash significant private capital into the renewable energy market. Investors in renewable energy projects have been explicitly prevented from forming master limited partnerships. Senators John Tester, Al Franken, Amy Klobuchar, Sheldon Whitehouse, and Jean Shaheen are original co-sponsors of the legislation. The Master Limited Partnerships Parity Act has been endorsed by the American Wind Energy Association, Solar Energy Industries Association, Biomass Power Association, American Council on Renewable Energy, National Resource Defenses Council, Offshore Wind Development Coalition, among numerous other renewable energy industry organizations. You can find a copy of the bill online at www.energytaxcredits.com. And for questions about MLP structures, please call my partner Stephen Tracy in our San Francisco office or Tony Grapponi in our Boston, Massachusetts office. And last week, the Sierra Club launched WindWorks. This is a new campaign to advocate for renewal of the production tax credit for wind energy. The Sierra Club says it is putting significant resources behind the Wind Works campaign to help America continue its transition to renewable energy. Through a variety of strategies, ranging from grassroots organizing to paid media, the campaign will work to ensure the wind energy industry continues to be a job creator and to remind lawmakers that wind works for the economy, for the environment, for the United States. In its announcement, the Sierra Club reports that more than 400 American manufacturing plants build wind components, and wind is supplying 25% more electricity to Americans than it was just one year ago. The group also notes that states such as Iowa and South Dakota already generate 20% of their electricity from wind power, and that number is growing quickly. For more information about WindWorks, visit www.sierraclub.org slash windworks. Lastly, today, June 12, the Senate Finance Committee will hold a hearing entitled Tax Reform, Impact on U.S. Energy Policy. The scheduled witnesses are Don Nichols, Chairman and CEO of the Nichols Group and former U.S. Senator, Philip Sharp, President of Resource for the Future, Dale Jorgensen, a professor at Harvard University, and Harold Hamm, CEO of Continental Resources, Inc., And I'll discuss developments from the hearing in next week's podcast. So stay tuned. Well, that brings me to the end of this week's report. Please join me again next week for another Tax Credit Tuesday. This is Michael Novogratik, and I'll be back next week. Thanks for listening. This weekly podcast has been brought to you by Novogratik & Company, LLP. Archived discussions are available online at www.novoco.com slash podcast or by subscribing to the Novogratic Report on tax credits in iTunes. Novogratic and Company LLP is a national certified public accounting and consulting firm with 13 offices nationwide. Learn more about our professional services at www.novoco.com.